Hello everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, and I am back in Reykjavik this week after a little flying visit to the UK to visit the family before Christmas. Um, It's super dark here, but it's super nice. We had a beautiful, clear sky today. There are lots and lots of Christmas decorations out. It's a fun time to be in Reykjavik at Christmas. It's a lovely city for Christmas time. And this week's episode is another Games of the Year episode. After talking to Brad from So Video Games and Reagan from The Short Game, I was really, really happy to talk to Louis from one of my very favourite games podcasts, Time Played 3HR, about what Louis's been playing this year and what games have uh, struck with him, stuck with him, um, and what his favourites were. I always find that Louis has got a really interesting and sensitive take on games and a really interesting taste as well. Um, I find games from all over the place, but I found a couple of games that I really loved this year from following Louis on Twitter. Um, you should do so if you don't. He's at Time Played 3HR. Um, and Time Played 3HR is a great weekly podcast that I really enjoy by Louis and Lockie. And so it was a really fun time. I hope you enjoy the conversation. I'm going to keep this intro short because we ran along a little. But before the podcast begins, I will just mention briefly that this show is patron-supported. So you can go to patreon.com slash gaminginthewild if you enjoy the episodes. Um, you'll get some extra episodes dotted throughout the year, some sale recommendations and an invite to the show's lovely Discord community. I'd like to say a big thank you to all of my patrons um, from throughout this year. It's been a really nice year on the Discord. We've we've got a really nice little community going on over there. It's a really good bunch of people, and I appreciate them a lot. If you'd like to join us, it's patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. And with that said, let's move on. Hope you enjoy this end-of-the-year episode with Louis from Time Played 3HR. So I'm very happy to be joined this week by Louis from Time Played 3HR. Hello, Louis. How are you? Hi, John. I'm um, I'm fantastically well. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Um, we're recording on the 23rd of December right now, um, so things are pretty Christmassy up here in Reykjavik. It's kind of a Christmassy town. It's so dark that they cover everything in light. Oh, um, that's cozy. So, yeah, it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice. How is how's it looking in in your neck of the woods? It's not much going on in uh, in in South London. Um, it's it's mostly just sort of cold and sad. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, um, don't be too much of a bummer. But it's fine. Um, uh, everything's going to be okay, I hear. Um, so there you go. <laughs> it is. Are you much of a Christmassy kind of a person? Um, n- no. Um, I think like uh, as the years have gone on, I've 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 found Christmas as a day to just be a little bit 
tiring. It's nice to see. I always see my mum, and that's always nice. Um, um, my sister. Um, uh, but like, the, I guess the the build up is is pretty irrelevant to me these days. There isn't much Christmas music that I enjoy, if I'm completely honest. Um, I don't think there are there are many of those songs I I'm like yes, time to listen to whatever the whatever again. Um, Slade. Yeah, I, I, you know, like I did my stint in in retail as well. So like that listening to Christmas music does not exactly bring up the best memories. Um, um, yeah. How about yourself? Um, What's your favorite Christmas song, John? Above averagely Christmassy person. <laughs> I don't know. I've always just been a slight fan of the, the mood of the time of the year, if you know what I mean. More than mm. the uh, the rampant consumerism <laughs> uh, sure bad tv and all that stuff favorite christmas song oh man yeah um i had one stuck in my head today uh i would i had bing crosby in my head i think it was in a shop or something um white christmas mm. was in the shop so i'm gonna plump for that one nice but something that actually happened today which was christmasy and good was that i discovered that here even here in iceland you can get a tin of quality streets and that it's in a real tin again. So oh, wow. I've got a tin of quality streets, which I was not expecting to find. I haven't. Uh, it's been a while since I've been gifted a tin of quality streets by my great aunt. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I, I can't say I was ever a huge fan of the quality streets. I was always more for a celebration, um, mm-hmm, um, which mm-hmm. is potentially a little sacrilege, but you know how it is. Um, what's the other one? There's quality street and then there's celebrations what's the other one the one that came up when i was a kid was um was heroes cabaret's heroes which i think was their sort of that was like i can't remember what we're in heroes now do you have a hero john um what's the other one i don't remember heroes at all but i think the other one to me is like roses roses yeah 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 one of them one of them is one of them is EastEnders and one of them is Coronation Street. I feel like um, on on the there's so there's some like scale that they both sit on. Roses is maybe EastEnders and um, Quality Street is um, Corey. Corey, yeah. I think I think the reason I like this stuff actually is maybe living in Iceland. Like this, this a different Christmas tradition, different Christmas food. Icelanders open their presents on the twenty fourth. Mm. Um, and on the 24th is like all the church bells in Reykjavik ring at noon and then every family, Icelandic family is all sitting together and opening presents for like six hours oh, making wow. eye contact while they open the person's present they have this really odd tradition and so li- seeing little glimpses of British Christmas makes me happy so I think that's why I latched on to the, uh, the quality streets Yeah, I get that Have you ever, um, do you have I was at, I spent a Christmas with like another family several years ago and they didn't open their presents until like after dinner, um, which I found immensely stressful um, (laughs) because I grew up like, not even like, like a little bit like, oh, maybe we should save some for after lunch. But mostly it was just like, now let's just like tuck in. This is what we're all here for. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Christmas morning. Yeah. But yeah, I was back in the UK last week and I'm, uh, to see family and stuff, so all of that stuff's out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, <laughs> the reason for this uh, 
this little podcast that we're doing is to talk about video games. Of you course. obviously have Time Played 3HR, one of my absolute favourite shows. Always a pleasure to check out what you and Lucky are playing from week to week. Um, but, <laughs> but What trash we've <laughs> sorted up for you. It's, it's, a, it's, you know, it's an unpredictable selection, but that's kind of the charm of it in some ways. Um, but because it's the, of the way that your show works, which is that you and Lockie will um, nominate a game for the other person to play, and you take turns, and it doesn't have to be from any particular time or any particular system, because of the, the way that you guys pick your games, they are from all over video game history, really, or at least the last three decades. And so there's only ever really a couple... Um, like contemporary games in your year, right? Yeah, I think um, uh, yes, that is that is absolutely true. I, I, I we we try to like. Well, I'm not going to speak for what the hell Loki's up to, but like for for me, like I'm I I spend a lot of my free time playing things that aren't brand new, as well as playing new things. I I, I like I, I sometimes I get a bit sad the way um, we kind of consume brand new games and then wait for the next one like um because i definitely do that at times but it is there's something a bit brutal about it um i feel like we're always talking about games in the in the um what was it something that like have you ever uh there's a guy a youtuber who called carl bosman and i think he used to be on game trailers when that was still around and i remember one of his early videos he was saying like people always talk about games in the past tense they're always like oh that game was good um or whatever mm-hmm. and i don't know that there's there's to me there's something in that of like we just move on from things so quickly and time play three is just kind of a nice opportunity for me um to kind of force me to um because i have to um i can't we can't just always be playing the newest thing like this is not there's not enough um and so it's nice to like just go back and be like, hey, here's um, this weirdo game that I remember playing when I was 14, which is mostly what I do these days. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think my I would love <laughs> at some point um, to be able to like say that I have like played every PlayStation 3 game. Like I was thinking about that the other day, like I just I get I'm just having the urge at the moment specifically. We just came off playing Prince of Persia. 08 um which is right bang in the middle of like ps3 stuff i guess or like relatively early but like um that it's a it's a funny time for games and like most of it is at this point feels quite drab um but i can't i can't um i can't stop thinking about those kinds of games at the moment um anyway yeah (laughs) yeah there is like a slightly nostalgic thing going on with 3HR sometimes, I think. Maybe it's because you and Lockie have known each other for such a long time. There's a very old mate's um, sort of mood to the thing. Mm. And you'll pick out games that maybe you remember uh, playing back then. Or, I don't know, it all, it all sort of slots together into into the mix, you know. Yeah, I think um, it's definitely something we're aware of. And I think it's it's funny as well because the PlayStation three is absolutely our generation in terms of like, uh, I mean, we were, we had, we became friends around the same time that we got PlayStation threes, um, uh, which it was, 
was that was nine nine plus seven years ago. Um, so sixteen years ago is when I met Lockie, and 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 like that's a long time ago now. But the PS3 doesn't feel that long ago. Um, uh, and we don't always play PS3 games, but it's it's funny how that has started to feel nostalgic and is currently in the process of like you know that thing of how everything's on like a 20 30 year cycle of like things come back into style and fashion and and whatever and and like we're kind of shifting i feel like from the ps1 aesthetic to ps2 and and already i i feel like there's these little hints of like traditional sort of generic ps3 gameplay mechanics coming into like um stuff where people are revisiting some of that stuff mm. um which i'm excited about and and um it's nice to sort of slowly very ice iceberg what like watch that kind of happen mm -hmm. yeah it does seem like 3d platformers was um a genre that was just out in the cold for a really long time and is now fully back with stuff like ratchet and psychonauts and all of that stuff going on ratchet i i recently got a ps5 and i i just finished ratchet and clank um rift apart and i've played quite a few of the ratchet and clank games it's it's bonkers how they have just not changed um I, I don't know if you've ever played the ones on ps2 um no but um, i played other stuff in in the genre um but like just just everything about everything about it is um it's it's obviously um a much more graphically impressive thing and there's obviously refinements but like moment to moment it just it feels exactly the same the writing is exactly the same which is wild like it has the same sort of like humor that it doesn't it doesn't quite hit for me um uh it's like pre it's definitely pre like marvel movie humor like i feel like if they made ratchet and clank now it would be a lot of like the kind of jokes you get in a superhero film um which wouldn't really work either but there's something about it of like I don't know how to describe it. There's like, there's these guys in Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart and they're like, uh, surfer Zen dudes. Um, and, and they're, they're like, um, yeah, they like, well, they know about the dimensions or whatever. They're like knowledgeable. And there's something about that, like surfer dude joke, which feels like 25 years old. Um, and the whole game feels a bit like that. Um, I enjoyed it, but it's really strange. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um, it it was ostensibly like the most next-gen game when it was coming out. Um, mm. And it looks that way, but then when you play it, um, it does have that, that fuzzy feeling of um, something that you just, you know very well, for sure. Yeah, yes, I, I really enjoyed that one, actually. It was a pack-in with my PS5. I don't think I would have played it otherwise, and I was glad that I did. Yeah, it's good fun. It's good fun. But... Um, I always think when I'm listening to the show that you sound like you play um, quite a lot of stuff. You sound like you play the games for the podcast, but that you kind of have um, other stuff that you're playing on the back burner and that you're trying out indies and things like that. And I see that on your on your Twitter and I've kind of picked up some good games from that, from your mm. like uh, retweets and stuff. You seem to be following a lot of developers and stuff. Mm. So I thought it was um, fun uh, last year to talk to you about your... 2020 games of the year because it's not necessarily what would be on time play 3hr uh, naturally because of the format um but i mean does that sound accurate do you feel like you kind of you follow new games and you yeah kind of, uh-huh 
Um, I'm always like flip-flopping between lots of little bits, um, going from like random older stuff to, um, yeah, I, I, I follow quite a few. I'm always looking for like new indie developers, um, making weird, cool stuff. I love seeing all these random, amazing, strange things that people, uh, produce. And I think, you know, so I think a lot of it doesn't make it onto 3HR because obviously there's always like, I could maybe suggest this, but most of it is just like, I do actively try to think about like what Lockie might get out, get out of something. Um, mm-hmm. and Lockie and I have very, well, not very, but like we do have some pretty clear differences in tastes and like, I'm trying to find something that I think he might not, he might not enjoy, but he will have something to say about at least. And sometimes like even like really good stuff that I know he would enjoy, um, probably quite a few of the things I'll talk about like on this podcast, like, I just don't think we would have much to say to each other about it. Um, there's loads of things like that. Um, so yeah, I got, I got, I, I'm always playing lots of random, random stuff. Yeah. I think I found one of my games that's been lingering around on my end of year list, like just below top five, but just ever present, um, from you either streaming it or tweeting about it. It was, um, Cloud Gardens. Oh yeah. I, I've played like, I think I've only played that on stream for about 20 minutes. Um, yeah, I went into that quite deep. I ended up playing um, 12 hours of it and I still haven't finished it. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was that big. Yeah, it goes on forever. There's a massive overworld. It's really neat. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad, um, I'm glad that I managed to, at least someone managed to enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, speaking of the 2021 stuff, um, we've, got, we've got a couple of little kind of prompts here to talk about just um, interesting or games that were striking in some way and about the year generally, and then we'll round it up with some uh, some little 2021 goatees. Mm. Um, so the first uh, prompt that I got here for us is, um, what's your what's your year been like in terms of what you were playing on, and um, and how do you think things went for the uh, for the big four like PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo, and and Steam over this year? Um, so I built a PC sort of mid last year, I think time has blended together, but I think it's been over a year. Um, uh, so I have been spending the majority of my time at my desk. Um, and I think that's probably what's encouraged me to be a bit more explorative with like all the stuff. Cause it's like emulation is a lot easier, obviously or possible. Um, and, uh, replaying random old things on steam and obviously trying out lots of indie games you got all of itch to sort of play with um and find lots of random stuff as well as like trying a few of the sort of bigger triple a stuff on a pc that can sort of run it um and then with last last month maybe a month and a half ago i i managed to bag myself a ps5 um which is cool um and i haven't played that much on it um games are expensive um Mm -hmm. especially coming from pc it's like oh wow okay um uh it's kind of wild to me um like it's a difficult one because like it's not that like um it's not that i don't think games are worth 70 pounds like like there there are plenty of games in my life that like 
I think most things, like the amount of work that goes into this stuff, and especially like the conditions for a lot of the people that do the work. Um, but but like it's not, it's like it's a it's not going to them obviously. Um, and um, I don't know, 70, 70 pounds for Returnal is kind of a brutal ask. Um, so I would like love to try that try that game out, but like. I've never finished a roguelike in my life and like you're now asking for 70 pounds for like admittedly what looks like a pretty good one but that's that is a big question and I think it also comes on top of this like I don't know if it's maybe it's just me but I feel like Sony in general talking more about like the publishers and stuff has really um started to try to sell themselves as this like luxury brand I don't know if mm-hmm. that's is that is that does that sound right to you or is that just me being it's something, there's something like, ah, oh, something kind of bugs me about that positioning of like, they're like, I guess they're technically on top and they've, they've sort of started to position themselves to this, like, this is the thing you buy. Like we do, we only do premium, like serious, mature adult games with no microtransactions or whatever. And I guess I appreciate that to an extent, but there's also just something kind of snooty about the way they sell themselves these days um, that I find a bit tiring. Um, uh, and I just I just wish people would use the scale of what games can be costed at. You know, like there are indie games I would pay seventy pounds for, and there are AAA games I would only want to pay fifteen pounds for. And I I wish it was possible, or someone had tried a bit more. Um, in some cases, to like use that scale a bit, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. There are, I think, like Chicory being twelve quid, yeah, and feeling like it should have been a full price game, and Returnal being crazy full price and feeling like it should have been a lot less. There's a bit of mispricing going on. I don't really know how all of that works, but I guess like PlayStation being the place where premium price games are right now, because Game Pass. I mean. Mm. You know, Xbox just aren't in the game with that really anymore, are they? Yeah, it's amazing to have um, those two companies just kind of go in completely different directions in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, um, game Pass, I have on PC, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's great. Um, it's great. I don't I don't want I don't want I know Sony's planning on do, doing their own version now. I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want like. Um, 20 different services I have to pay 15 pounds a month for, but, um, but yeah, game pass itself is, is a pretty neat deal. It's not, it was nice to like check out halo, which is a series. I just don't give two toots about, um, to play like a few hours of the halo campaign is, is a neat thing. I'm actually quite curious about what you would make of returnal because you, you are quite, um, I would say quite a patient player. Like I'm um, having checked out when you were playing uh, stuff like Tomb Raider 2 on the stream, which was mm. kind of janky and kind of hard and just a bit odd and rough around the edges. And you just kind of patiently played through it. <laughs> and you seem to be someone that does quite patiently play through some quite difficult games sometimes. And I think Returnal um, is an interesting case in that regard because it's so gruelingly difficult but ultimately pretty sleek and good you know i think there's different types of um patience with games and i kind of adore 
I adore like the sort of from software's outputs of like Dark Souls and Sekiro and, and Bloodborne and stuff. Um, but I find getting through them really hard, not just because they're difficult games, but like the way my brain is set up, I find that kind of repetition to just be absolutely killer. Um, if it's, um, if it's dying to a boss and then having to run five minutes back to the boss door, I, um, I, I find it really hard to stick with that stuff. I find that like the way the tension of it goes like high tension, I'm fighting a boss, I might die back down to zero because I'm now dead and I have to run five minutes after a load screen. Um, that for me, uh, I just, I just put it, it's not even like, I don't think I've ever like rage quit something. Um, it's just, I just turn it off one day and then don't turn it back on again. I think most of my, like, whenever I haven't finished a Souls game or a challenging game like that, um, it's always just, my character's just hanging out in a pretty safe spot, just like waiting for, and it's not because I don't want to play it anymore. It's just like, there's this level of commitment that I struggle, I struggle with. Um, and I think that comes up a lot with like roguelikes because of that repetition. Um, uh, and I looking at the reason Returnal is such a hard buy like for me for 70 pounds is that I would really like to play that game. Um, but I'm 95% sure I won't finish it. Um, which is just like, I know that like I wish finishing a game was not in my brain of like, well, that's important that I do that. But, um, I guess it is to some extent. And so I haven't managed to break down. They're, they're, put, they're putting these games on sale a lot, to be fair. So um, clearly they know they're asking, a lot, <laughs> they're asking a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear what you thought of that one specifically if you do if you do get to it sometime. Well, how's so. the, like, I'm curious about the the, the storytelling stuff. Is, is there, I've seen like a few little bits, like some first person sections are in there or... Have you seen any of that stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, I played it through to World 2, which mm. I found to be quite traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the way it works is that um, Celine wakes up outside the crashed ship um, and she doesn't know where she is or what's happening. Um, and then you move through a series of kind of arena battles, basically. But at some points throughout those runs, um, there is story sprinkled into it. Um, like you'll just start finding things, some things mm. that are just like your traditional data capsule or whatever, or like some alien architecture or things that become increasingly surreal. And, and it starts to mount quite well because then you die and then you go again and you know you're going to find more. But I think I kind of, I hit the ceiling of story content in area one, mm. like four hours before I actually got out of it, if you know what I mean. So there was like, I'd had all of the story um, and then I was just trying, grinding away to try and get to this boss with proper weapons, which is always a bit random because of roguelike drops and stuff. Um, and I felt like there wasn't enough story to stretch over the gap of how long it takes to finish an area. So there were mm. these kind of just hollow runs where you've had all of the content, but you just still have to play, you know? Yeah, that's a shame. It's a shame because it sounds like, yeah, the story stuff sounds like it's weaved in quite an interesting way. Um, mm -hmm. So it's a shame it didn't quite last um yeah at least not yeah. for me I, I don't know if they they thought there was a suppose like um the time that it's supposed to take you 
But I definitely had a, a, a sensation at some point that I had passed the amount of time it's supposed to take you, in inverted commas. Mm. Um, and there was no more story for me until I got through it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a bummer. Um, is there, and there's no like, um, uh, there's no like difficulty options, right? Or like accessibility stuff. It's kind of pretty, um, limited in that sense. Yeah. They've, they've refused it really, actually. I mean, I think the one, the one concession is, um, you can turn up the aim assist, uh, Mm. which is an extremely marginal help. But it does mean that if you're concentrating on bullet hell evasion, then you're more likely to be aiming at something. <laughs> yeah. Like slightly. But that's it really. Yeah. Um one, and, one uh, of the um sorry, what were you saying? Um I was just gonna say that like in control as as a glowing example of a game that was like this, very hard, lots of people struggled and they just put in difficulty sliders, problem solved. And yeah. House Mark of um they've they've kind of heard the feedback but just not wanted to do it. So that's a shame. Yeah, I was yeah. I was going to say similarly. Um, well, um, uh, Sakura, the the like samurai whatever game ninja game by From Software, um, uh, is there are as with all their games no difficulty options or anything. But on PC, people have added lots of mods, and one of them is you can adjust game speed, which like. I think it's they actually put it. It's in Forza Five, which is great um, for people that like want to use it. Like it just um, literally like you can turn down the speed of enemies or your own speed. Um, and uh, I haven't actually managed to get around to using it in, in Sekiro, but I would love to give it a go because it's just. I think there's something like oh, it's kind of just neat in in and of itself, just watching a game running at like half speed. But like um, a love a lovely way to just. Um, on a whim decrease difficulty if you need to yeah yeah just chill it out a little bit yeah sure but let's 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 talk through a few of these um these categories and see what you've got i'm quite curious to see what you have for them um the first one is a nice surprise it's a game that you hadn't heard anything about or that you hadn't um been following on twitter or um you know, been waiting for or whatever, but just seemed to arrive uh, fully formed and just sort of surprise you, basically. Like, where did mm. this come from? Um, yeah, this is actually... Um, this one we did do on on 3HR, um, uh, but it's uh, the remastering of Sh- Shadow Man. Um, right. I don't know... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you managed to listen to this episode, but... Um, um, I, I did. It sounded like you two had a, a lot of fun with it, actually. Yeah, I don't know. I, well, I don't know if Lucky. Um, I think Lucky kind of it drove him a bit mad. But but for me personally, <laughs> like it's um, it uh, as I've now said, I think three times. Um, uh, I'm sort of always looking for things I I've not played that kind of already exist. There's something naturally quite satisfying about that. Um, and then Shadow Man Remastered came out, I think this year, um, and uh, people were like, oh, look how good this remaster is. It's by um, Night Dive, who've done a couple of really wonderful, um, like, what I would describe as, like, true remasters, like, sort of really just looking at the source material and updating it 
just enough where like you kind of look at it like it this definitely looks like I remember and not going overboard and like being very respectful of the source material. Um, uh, and um, it's originally like a Dreamcast PlayStation 1 game. Um, and I'd never, never ever heard of the game or, or I think it's based on a comic. I'd never heard of any of that stuff. And it just kind of appeared one day and I, I don't know, something about its aesthetic and like it's just kind of almost alien like i hadn't really seen something about the way he runs specifically something about the way he jumps and animates and i think combined with like they put some like motion blur in the game which obviously wasn't there on the playstation one version that made it look surreal in a way that just really captured my attention and then i just kind of bought it not really knowing anything about it and it turned out it was this kind of huge scale 3d metroidvania search action platformer through yeah like with like strange um gothic horror brutalist elements and like um it's a it's kind of a difficult game to pass it's um it's a weird one but um it's it's incredibly unique um and was kind of a joy to one of those things that's like uh because it's slightly off from most things i had played it's just kind of a joy to discover um as a sort of a piece of game history yeah it sounds like um so this was a is it a remaster or is it leaning towards a remake so it's it's like it's literally um uh, just slightly touched up so like i think mm -hmm. they would have taken the majority if not all of the textures and wherever needed kind of repainted or resourced them as well as like maybe adding a few a few polygons into some models and and um and then adding a bunch of sort of like post-processing effects like the motion blur and um mm -hmm. i think they cleaned up some of the controls as well because i think it originally i haven't played the original but i think the original had like tank controls mm -hmm. um so they just like put it on a stick. Um, and they also, one of the things they did do um, is they uh, finished basically, and this is probably slightly more than I would, I would do if I were in their shoes, but it's cool either way is they, they finished a few of the levels that got cut in the original for time constraints, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of a wild thing. Um, so there was these like three, I think maybe, I think three levels that just got completely deleted because there literally wasn't enough time to finish them. And, but most of them, most of the levels still existed. So they just like polished them up and chucked them in. Um, but yeah, um, super neat, weird thing. If you're, if, if you're looking for like, if you're looking for something off, <laughs> which <laughs> I, I seem to be doing more and more these days. Um, um, it's, it's got some iconic stuff going on. Yeah, it's a funny one. I'm, I wonder if they were remastering it for like a for a cult audience that belongs to the original game, or if they were kind of you know. I think that's kind of their shtick. It, it, it like Night Dive seems to just like, um, I don't know. They seem to have a list somewhere of like cult status video games that mm -hmm. could potentially have a bigger audience, and they're just kind of. I guess that I think they must be like buying the licenses to these games and then, um, yeah, cleaning them up and putting them up. Um, 
they did well they didn't buy the license to quake but they but they um they did do the quake uh remaster that came out earlier this year which mm -hmm. i also also never played i never played quake um and that was on game pass so that was neat to check out as well and yeah. a similarly like impressive impressive cleanup respectful cleanup yeah yeah that's an interesting thing to be doing as a as a house like that it's like a form of like archaeology or preservation isn't it yeah um and it's you know preservation in games is always a dire state so um it's nice to see some people doing it well i wish they had um been the ones that rockstar got to do the gta remasters to be honest but there you go so um yeah when when making goatee lists um there's always a bunch of stuff that is good but doesn't quite make the cut um or stuff that people maybe people just didn't find like for me i've been kind of constantly surprised that griftlands wasn't a bigger deal this year it's it's got all of the things uh, that people yeah. like it's a sort of super slick deck building roguelike rpg sci-fi super giant style game and i've just been constantly amazed mm. that no one's talking about it um but i was wondering if if you've got any games like that games that you've played that came out this year and you've been surprised or um that they didn't catch on more um one that i think i i mean maybe i'm i'm not particularly like surprised because it's a relatively like small low-key thing um but something that like i would say is under the radar at least is is um uh nina freeman's most recent game um called last call um which um it's it's like a, an, a very very serious topic it's about like an abusive relationship so like i i, I don't really want to go into detail about like um that stuff specifically but um I I found it to be um, pretty pretty moving, and um, it's like a very small, um, short sort of vignette um, um, about like a period in her life. I don't know if you are you familiar with Nina Freeman at all. Um, I'm not sure what sort of this stuff. So she made uh, a game called. Most recently, she made a game called We Met in May. Um, she, I think she's most famous for uh, Sybil. Um, right. I'm, I'm um, vaguely aware of that one. Um, so one of her, like, um, I think the common... Th I mean, there's lots of things going through her work, but, like, the common thread for a lot of her work, which I've always found really interesting, is um, it's almost always very personal and like sort of true stories from her life um which and there's not there's not much sort of metaphor like i feel like games are often pretty abstract from like even if there is like a kernel of of us of truth in the story that it's it's sort of layers deep underneath um i don't know um some some other game mechanic some traditional game mechanic whereas whereas nina freeman's work is is often um uh just super upfront like this is something that happened to me five years ago um and i'm exploring it like like you might write a song or, or i think she has a background in poetry um and i'm always really interested in that and i think it's interesting that she does that through games a lot um i'm always something i always get stuck on is like the the um the why as humans we're always so much more interested when 
like a film trailer says like based on a true story like like what is it about that that like um that makes us all sit up in our seats and 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 sort of pay attention well why is that like a selling point and um yeah and i think that just crosses over again with her stuff and she's also just like i think um she's a great writer as well um the the game itself is is um is you basically wander through um her apartment her old apartment packing up um her belongings and finding notes around the house um the sort of i guess the most gimmicky or like the thing that you could call out as like different is um it has this it uses like a microphone and you sort of say you can pick from different phrases she'll like read you'll read a um a diary entry and and you can pick from several sort of um uh like sort of comforting phrases to sort of say aloud and then it'll like pick it and you'll move on um yeah I, I think that's kind of all i had to say about it but um it's definitely like it was a very small thing that like um it's it's funny just following following her work all this time and like again like that um i never met nina freeman i'll never meet nina freeman but i somehow know so much about her life at least the small parts that she's um decided to share um through her games and stuff and it's such a strange such a strange relationship that i i sort of obviously not a real relationship but like there's some there's some weird thing i don't know <laughs> you know what i mean no I, I get you yeah i mean i'm a big fan of uh, tracy emin the the artist and have like read her mm. writing and her diaries and her her guardian column and like looked at her work and her films and it's all autobiographical and raw and it all adds up to this big picture of her so i definitely get where you're coming from in that that feeling she's also like um i think nowadays she's like a full-time streamer uh, she she just streams games that she likes playing, and I've I've caught one or two of those streams in in my time, and it's just it's just such a strange. The internet's so weird, <laughs> it's so strange. Like I do a, like a very very small podcast, and um, I you know met a few nice people through it, and 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 that sort of thing, and um, maybe occasionally talk to someone on Discord and streamed a few times. Um, and people always talk about that like parasocial thing of like where where does that like relationship end and begin and stuff and it's it's just such a weird thing it's all so strange yeah and it sounds like she's kind of using that as as the medium in some way right um it's obviously very intimate material so it must be at least to some degree knowing or kind of sharing on purpose right mm i have no i, I mean i have no idea like what her where her brain crosses over from like i'm a game streamer to i'm a to i'm an artist or whatever but um yeah i I would i would be curious to know what that feels like in that sense yeah art and autobiography is an interesting thing Um, i've kind of thought about this a lot as someone that has done writing and artwork in the past and ended up thinking i used to feel kind of solipsistic to be sharing all this stuff about yourself but Mm. ended up on the in the place of thinking that if you're sharing something personal about yourself, then other people probably, well, definitely will have been through the same stuff. And so you're actually just talking about life, really. And that kind of put, yeah. put me at ease on, on doing it. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely um uh I have, I've I have written quite a lot of music in my life and so like I I I and that's always been relatively personal. Um but I I don't think I've ever I've never written in a way that is very clearly his his a story um specifically from my life that you can kind of read from start to finish. Um and now you have some idea representation of like something I something important that I went through like I don't think I've ever done that so like it's always interesting to experience yeah okay so last call is that I, I'm guessing that that was an uh, steam or an itch type thing yeah it's like a free or pay what you want thing on itch um I think it's probably only like an hour long mm-hmm should okay. run on like most computers. I can't remember if it's on Mac or not. Yeah. Yeah, I've actually got a game that sounds a little bit like that called No Longer Home sitting on my Steam library that I've um I've tried to start it a bunch of times but never quite got there. But mm. did you hear about this one? It was like a couple of roommates. Is that the No long is that the one that's like these little rooms, like isometric rooms, or is that something else? Yeah, that's it. Um, sometimes yeah. it looks like I think it's modeled a little bit on Kentucky Route Zero. So it has this right. shifting perspective throughout. But yeah, isometric rooms is a part of it for sure. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I haven't I haven't um I don't know anything about it other than the isometric room thing <laughs> for some reason. Right. I ended up hearing about this one because it was two roommates that lived together, moved apart, became game developers and remembered this time of their lives really vividly and then made a game about it, which seemed really cool. Mm, that sounds cool. Keep meaning to get to that. That's like a a twenty twenty one game that i didn't get to something actually um i wanted to ask you well i don't think i have planned to but now now you're speaking i was thinking like i also follow you on twitter and stuff and so i see the kinds of things that you post as well as listen to the podcast sometimes and like i'm i'm curious about your the way that you decide to play things because you also play like a lot like I feel like you play a lot. Like I play a lot, but you play a lot. Like, I don't know. I think maybe, I don't know what it is. Maybe we play the same amount, <laughs> but maybe it's just seeing it from the opposite perspective. Um, and I'm, I'm always like, I'm curious about what your um, motivations are for picking certain things or like, like you tweeted, I saw earlier you playing Resident Evil uh, Village. And that seems like quite a rogue pick for you. Like, how do you end up at a place where you're playing Resident Evil? <laughs> yeah, actually, I mean, yeah, I, I do play a lot. I live in Iceland, it's dark and the COVID is on and no one's going out and all the bars are shut and it's boring. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to stay in my house and play video games um, until yeah, people I mean, will same. come out and play again. Things seem safe. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm, I'm always listening to podcasts, actually, like pretty much all the time, like flicking through game podcasts and there's you know five or six that i listen to every week and just pick like picking up on games that are coming out and um hearing about things on the grapevine um and just being very interested in where the edges of what video games are lie if mm. you know what i mean mm, totally it's always up, up for trying something but i think i'm i've increasingly just because of being sucked further and further into video game twitter just getting more exposed to Game Awards-y style stuff. Mm. Just uh, a lot of people talking about these games and a lot of people expressing themselves about Metroid Dread or Guardians of the Galaxy or whatever. 
Um, and they're maybe not games I would have picked before, but I think I see so many people talking about them, I just become very curious. Yeah, it's so hard. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard when everyone's talking about something to just be like, no, nah, I don't need to. I don't need to. That's definitely something that I've had to like personally be like, I really don't need to. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy is a great example, actually, because like, I, I do not care about Guardians of the Galaxy, like the movie franchise or the comics or whatever. Um, and I w- like watch someone play like half an hour of it. It's like, yeah, this kind of looks like a sort of a space uncharted, which I really don't want to play. Um, and, um, but, uh, but also then someone I, I like, or like, I find I have similar opinions to will say something just off the cuff, like, Oh, I was really surprised by that game or like, um, I really like the blah, blah, blah. And then my body's like, God, I need to, <laughs> I need to know if, if I like the blah, blah, blah. Um, I need to now pay 60 pounds to find out if I like the blah, blah, blah. Um, and I'm almost never surprised, <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't think I'm ever like, Oh, I'm so glad I checked this out. Um, well, you know, I should, I have to yeah. say actually that like resident evil village is, um, is really surprising to me. I mean, I played resident evil one on the PlayStation, uh, way back when mm. it first came out and resident evil two and loved them both and finished them both. And then just never really thought about it again, you know? Like mm. taste moved on, but this one was—I think it was on eighteen-pound sale or something. So I just dived into it with minimal expectations and thought, okay, I'll just get myself an opinion on this game. Um, and it's—it's—it's it's, um, it's brilliant. I can't believe it. It's like a, just a roller coaster. It's very camp. It's not really horror. Yeah. Um, outside of the fact that there's a lot of blood splashing around and you know ghouls and stuff. But it's very funny all the time. It's it's such a kind of... It's not what I was expecting. I was expecting like a slightly serious horror game, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And it's not at all. It's like giant vampire lady chasing you and guy with double chainsaw arms and stuff. And I'm just laughing a lot while I'm playing it. And it's very linear, so there's not much room for error. You're just going to yeah. go along for a ride. It feels like you've just strapped yourself in and gone on a ghost train. Um, so that's like a time when I got... I caught hype and then I'm kind of glad that I caught hype. Um, most of the times like you, I'm not. Um, but this, this is a rare time when I'm like, actually, I think I'm going to, I'm going to finish that one. I'm, I'm really having fun with it. Yeah. Village is a weird one. Uh, we played it. I made Lockie watch me play it on stream. Um, and I, I, so I have not played the series that much. I recently within the last few years played the first one and then, I played the remake of two, which I actually really, really liked. Um, and I watched someone play seven, which I thought was actually really neat. Um, and then I've just like, obviously been very aware of resident evil. Cause it's like one of the bigger franchises. Um, and I've always been kind of put, been put off by the like extreme, um, uh, sort of, uh, extreme campiness that they go to. And I have always been kind of bummed that, um, they maybe didn't take it a little bit more seriously. And then I feel like they did it for Resident Evil 2 Remake and 7. They were like, okay, we're going to try something new and and we're going to get a bit more serious again. Mm-hmm. And so I was excited to check out 8 myself, be like, yeah, I'm going to play one of these Resident Evil games. And then like, it's just like the most, <laughs> it's like all <laughs> over the place. It's like a pan- um, pantomime villains. The, um, I just, the pacing of the game is just wild. Like, the i i think the thing Lockie and i both said on the podcast was like i don't know how far you are but like 
Um, I really could have just done with like the one villain and then spent 100% of the time in the castle. Mm -hmm. But like it very quickly, it feels like it doesn't trust me to be like, you'll enjoy this for 10 hours. It's like, no, 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 it's been an hour and a half and now we must do something else. Um, and that was a bit of a disappointment for me. Yeah, um, um, I stopped playing. I was playing it today and I stopped just before stepping, uh, opening a four-key door and about to step into a big church hall and it seemed pretty boss fighty to me. Um, so I paused uh, to go and do other things. But yeah, I've been loving that section of the game at least. I have heard other people say that it tails off as well. Yeah, I think there's definitely some worse parts and some better parts for sure. It's definitely uneven. But yeah, that was a game that really surprised surprised me. Um, my expectations for it were really low. I mean, there have also been games that were the opposite, where I had very high hopes for them. We've already talked about one of them, Returnal. Um, as yeah. a, a fan of Housemark, I was kind of dead excited for this step they were taking into third-person action adventure and stuff, and then it just did not hit the spot for me whatsoever. Um, and I was wondering if there were any, anything like that for you this year. Um, letdowns, I th you're going to hate me. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. Okay. <laughs> letdown let down is, is strong because, like, um, letdown is strong. But, like, I think I found myself sort of frustrated more with myself maybe than the game when it came to Sable. Mm -hmm. Um... um I think it, there were for like a, a myriad uh, reasons. Most of them was just um, uh, there were a lot of bugs. I had a lot of bugs, um, and it just it's a it, for me it was a game that I was sort of like casually but comfortably looking forward to. Um, lovely art style um, gameplay that sounded sort of right up my street, like um, an open world that is not interested in bogging you down with a bunch of trash and like some quiet some quiet contemplative journeys through some nice scenery sounded fab to me um and it is that's all there like i think that is all there um but but like it just it was the kind of game that like the kind of bugs i was running into were really distracting and i'm usually quite patient with that stuff but it just kept going on and i wish i had had the patience to be like i need to come back to this in a month's time maybe when um, when they've had a chance to fix some stuff up, like that's fair enough. Like you can't get all the stuff done. They're like, what? They're a two-person team, right? Yeah. Um. So it's like, yeah, I, I should wait. <laughs> I should wait instead of just getting annoyed over and over again. But instead, I insisted. Um. Uh. And yeah, just it was just unfortunate. And then there was this. Oh my gosh, there was this killer one, which isn't the game's fault, I don't think. Of um. So throughout the whole game, there are these like there are those like moon gates that you drive through. I had got through most of them pretty comfortably, and I think I must have played. I've, I've probably played about eighty percent of that game at this point. And like, there's there was one more of those I had to do. So you basically have to drive through several rings, um, and then by getting through them all, um, then like a thing appears. Um, and for some reason, when I was driving through this one, um. I wasn't getting through all the rings in time. Like by the time I got to the last ring, they would all power down again. Mm. And and I was like, "Ha, huh, that's strange. Like maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I need a faster bike because you can upgrade your bike um, with faster parts." Um, so I went and got like the fastest parts that I had come across at that point. I was like, "Okay, so maybe this will do it." And then I was, it still wasn't working. And I had 
one of the things that I had heard people talk about with this game was that the bike was too slow. Um, and I was like, ah, I don't mind like the speed it's going. Like, this is fine. Um, it's quite nice to trot around. Um, and then I realized that, um, for whatever reason, um, I, cause I was playing with controller. I tried it on my keyboard and I went twice the speed by using my keyboard. Oh, wow. And it turns out that the, um, for some reason, probably just my weirdo setup with the way I was using a PS4 controller through a bl weird Bluetooth receiver plugged into a PC. Um, it was only receiving like half <laughs> the acceleration, even though I was holding the button down the whole way. So I played like 80% of the game <laughs> driving around half speed. <laughs> um, and there was, there was something about that, well, that specific bug, which I, again, I wouldn't blame the devs for, but like, um, Something about that one that was just like, oh man, I don't think I can play this. Yeah, <laughs> I can't Final play straw. this anymore. Yeah, um, which is a shame um, because I think there's a lot there's a lot there to really um, love about Sable for sure. Um, but it did it did cause me a little bit of sadness. Yeah, very understandably, I think. I mean, I started playing that one on an Xbox One, um, and it would barely run after the tutorial -y part like it was really as soon as you got near trees or as soon as you got near structures or towns it was like slideshow um you know frame a second wow. unplayable um and it actually kind of inspired me to push the button on buying um a series s console which like <laughs> came in a couple of days and which i'd been thinking about doing and much like you, I was like, I need to play Sable now. I've been, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's the talk of the town and it's really fun and intoxicating in its way and quite intriguing. Um, mm. Yeah, and then it ran better, like it ran smoothly on that one. But but the bugs were a constant distraction for sure. Um, like f I think my least favorite one was like coming to a pond Um and like wondering what to do, running around this pond, um, not seeing a way to find whoever was there, and then going back to the mission point to see if I'd missed something, coming back again, and then like accidentally tripping over and, and realizing that it's not a, a pond, it's an empty well that you can climb down with loads of stairways and someone at the bottom. But the water mm. was still there for some reason at the top. Um, so it was just like a graphical glitch that had just, you know, had me running around for half an hour. But it was absolutely uh, packed with bugs for sure, like falling through the scenery, losing the bike, the bike not coming when you call it, um, just so many glitches. The one that killed me was um, when you went, to, there are these like large um, ships that are kind of like the closest analogy would be like the shrines in Breath of the Wild, I guess, um, uh, that you sort of enter and you do a sort of a pretty standard uh, block puzzle which to be honest i didn't really enjoy either but um you do a sort of a puzzly thing um but when you go to them the music changes to this kind of like discordant thrumming i would say it's um i can't really i don't remember it now but it, it was sort of like this is sort of not not particularly happy music um but no matter what every time i would go to one of those ships that music would never stop playing after i went um which is brutal because like, it's just, it's, it's such a, it's a game like that's so serene and calm and, and like just such a pleasure to like spend slow time in, um, and to have like 
that kind of bug of like, ah, now I'm just listening to this like slightly unpleasant music that doesn't stop and having to restart the game to make it go away. It's just kind of like, just like things like that would just like, it's a real shame. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping to go back to it. Um, but I probably just need to give it a little bit of space. But I mean, we've been talking about Resident Evil Village and you being surprised at my, my, my new kind of a FOMO triple A habit. Um, but were there, were there any that, that got you this year? Uh, triple A's. Um, I was looking, so I did like, this is the first year, um, I've been like making, been trying to make sure I take a list of everything I've played because it's become so unmanageable. Um, so I've been like writing that stuff down. Um, and looking at this list, I actually really didn't play that much sort of brand new, um, glossy, expensive games. Um, the ones that I've written down here were uh, Deathloop. I um, I played and finished. Um, I'm currently playing a bit of Forza 5. Um, and I also just... It didn't come out this year, but I, I, um, I've also been playing Judgment on... on It's like the PS5 version, but it's just the PS4 game. Um, and it really, like... Man, as well, I, I play Resident Evil and Ratchet & Clank... Um, but I think that is kind of it. Were there any that um, sprang out at you? I'm kind of curious about Deathloop, actually. I haven't played it. Um, it's first-person shootery, stealthy, right? Yeah, it's by Arcane, um, and I'm I will always sit up for any game made by Arcane. Um, they are best known for their Dishonored series, um, uh, and they also made uh, Prey um, and now Deathloop. Um, and their games often take the sort of, they're often exploring like these sort of quote immersive sim space. So they're like first person shooters with a lot of player choice. Um, and Deathloop is a kind of a, a kind of, I'd sort of, I guess in a way like Returnal is this kind of, what if a triple A studio made, um, made a roguelike. Um, and Deathloop is absolutely not as like crushing or, or, or repetitive or, or kind of like zero, zero progressing yourself a lot sort of game. Um, but it sort of takes that idea. There's so many, so many time loop games these days. Right. Um, and, mm-hmm. and Deathloop is another one of those. Um, you basically are stuck on an Island and you have to kill a bunch of people in a, in an entire day in order to get off the Island. Um, but you have to figure out where they all are and how to kill them quickly and blah, blah, blah. Um, it's a really neat idea um, and executed pretty well. Uh, I, I'm i always really interested in arcane games b- because they have an incredible, um, they often have incredible art direction. Um, the Dishonored games, I think, are some of the best looking games of all time. Um, uh, they add a bunch of stuff that's just neat to mess about with. But the problem I always have with arcane games and like immersive sims in general is that like I don't know I think I'm just not a particularly creative player like I <laughs> I like I feel like they give you all these options of things to do and then I just go for the easy one which is like stealth and shoot people in the head with a silenced pistol and that's been true of like every game arcane has made for me um, where there's just so much choice but I'm just sitting curled over in a corner um 
waiting for people to walk by. Um, and Deathloop is like, I think the first time that they've really, um, I think uh, they do a really good job of making stealth not be the be all and end all of the game. And like when you get seen, it's just a different type of gameplay instead of it feeling like a punishment. You know what I mean? Like it, it reminds me of like, um the last of us or at least how i feel about the last of us i don't know if everyone else feels that way but like how in the last of us i felt like getting seen is an inevitability of the gameplay and like reacting to that on the fly is actually kind of reacting to being seen on the fly is actually what makes it fun um instead of just being like i have to go through and never be seen ghosting it like you would in a dishonored game um so definitely does a good job of that um mm -hmm. the story is dumb <laughs> that's my that's my definitely review yeah just tacking that on the end there mm -hmm. yeah i mean it won the it won the award for the art direction didn't it which people seemed kind of surprised by it's got like a from what i've seen at least like a kind of 70s uh vibe to it yeah it's got some nice they always do really nice interiors i think okay and they do like um really interesting detailed uh and dense interior spaces which i can just stare at forever mm -hmm. how about the others i know that you're a big driving game fan how was um how's your time with forza 5 um i am like a lapsed driving game fan um it's what all i played as a kid and uh because all the violent games stressed me out too much so i just drove around circles um and these days i don't play that many driving games i find them all quite samey but i find Forza 4 specifically was the first, Forza Horizon 4 was the first um, Forza game that I had ever played and I was kind of enamored with it. Um, um, so I was sort of cautiously optimistic for 5. Um, and I would say like, I would say maybe I'm a little bit disappointed by it. And I think, I think it's because it's effectively the same thing, but in a setting I have less of a connection to. Mm -hmm. Um because Forza 4 is set in sort of mostly northern UK um, with a sort of weird, weirdly terrible Edinburgh <laughs> somewhere in there. Um, um, but so like I, um, I just I just have a lot of like nostalgia for driving around the countryside. Um, uh, and uh, so that's a lot of cozy warmth for me in, in, in Forza Horizon 4. Whereas... Um, five is is uh is mexico and uh cool it looks nice and like it's nice to drive around like um driving up that volcano is pretty neat um uh but it doesn't quite have that i don't quite have that connection to it and so it just becomes another sort of driving game for me um oh i, I also just it was the same in four but i looked past it but like i just can't stand all the people talking at me saying like it's like it's like the most like toxic positivity, just constant, <laughs> like constant people sniffing your butt in Forza telling you how amazing you are. And it's exhausting. Um, I wish you could tone that stuff down. Yeah. I think I enjoyed the game better when I turned the radio off at least. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I highly, I highly recommend picking a playlist of your choosing on Spotify or iTunes or whatever. Um, turning the radio off like that for me is like one of the best ways I have found in recent years to de-stress is to just put on some miserable indie music and <laughs> uh, 
and drive around um, the English countryside in Forza um, instead of listening to like all this music that just desperately wants you to be having the best time. And it's like, please, please stop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Forza 5, I had a good time with it. I, I was fiercely addicted to it for like a, a week and a half or something and just would finish work yeah. and then eat and then play Forza and then go to bed and then work again. <laughs> I was like, I couldn't <laughs> stop playing it. I don't know what it was about it, but it really got its hooks into me. Maybe the the most addictive game that I've played this year and then went and won all the races and did all the stuff. And then it was just completely over and I just kind of never thought about it again, you know? So it was like, yeah. a, it was like a very enamored with it and then it was just done. It's like, it's like constantly... Um, throwing little like endorphin boosts at you mm -hmm. like just all the time like all those like wheel spins and like it's just it's just like non-stop um, which which can be good to an extent and then uh, and then I think I burn out on it yeah yeah I really enjoyed Forza I have to say it was um, a surprise to me it was my first one um, and I hadn't played a driving game for so long um, mm. so it was just maybe like fresh enough that I hadn't played one for so long that it had some novelty to it, you know, and that, that it was totally maybe my first open world driving game. I think they've all been uh, track based or rally games in the past. So I'd never, I'd never seen a, a game like this before. Well, you know, it's like, it's, it's actually still super rare. I find for driving games, even like open world ones to let you drive off the road. Um, that genuinely I think is still like the most novel thing about Forza is that like at any moment you can just <laughs> hard right into a field. Um, and it just doesn't really, that just doesn't really get old. That sense of freedom is really satisfying. Whereas like there's been like a fair few like need for speeds where they've been open world, but there's always this feeling that like um, this limitation of like, Oh, there's just all these buildings in the way and mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, um, I think maybe that's when I started to burn out on it, actually, was when I was getting, like, my my GPS route map of how I was supposed to get from A to B and then just immediately pointing directly at wherever I was supposed to go and just put my foot mm. down in a straight line um, <laughs> and just see the numbers going up and up and up because I was hitting bushes and trees and, like, wiping out things and just still getting score for, for doing, like, the, the very bare minimum of playing. And I think at that point I thought, yeah... Yeah, I might be done with this one. <laughs> did you find yourself um, drawn to any specific cars or did you just kind of flop between the stuff that you got? Um, I actually ended up with loads and loads of cars. I think my favorite one was like a, it was a Ford rally car, kind of basic, covered in transfers mm. with like a little fin on the back of it. Um, what was it called again? Um, began with a C. Um, I think it was one of the ones that you get towards the start. Um, mm. But something about that car, like, um, it drifted incredibly well. Um, mm. And it's, when you were midway through a drift, you could um, hit accelerate and just accelerate through the drift almost in this crazy way. Um, and my favorite my favorite races were the off tra off uh, the cross-country and the, uh, the dirt track ones. And so this car had very soft suspension and drifted beautifully, and that just became my favorite. But towards mm. the end, um, I got a couple of like fancy, like I got a Ferrari somehow and was fixing up those cars that you find in, in wreckage that are then restored. And so I really enjoyed those. Yep. I think there was also a McLaren that you can, 
when you slow down, it the, the fin literally pops up physically. I think also when you go over a certain speed, it comes up to give some sort of traction. Yeah, maybe. and that was great. I mean, thing. one of the more fun things I can remember doing was just trying to break the top speed records or the speed traps on the motorway and just getting the fastest car possible <laughs> and just going across <laughs> the entire map in like one minute. Yeah. But yeah, how about you? Was there a car that, that you gravitated to? Um, uh, yeah, I typically like, well, there, I don't really, I haven't really enjoyed the selection um, in, in this one as much. Um, they took out some of the stuff that I liked from, from Forza 4. Um, um, I don't know if I've really latched on to anything specific this time around. Um, apart from the... F- actually, similarly, um, maybe it was the same one. Is it the Ford RS2? I can never remember what it is, but I love that thing. Let me look it up. 4S200? Um, it's, yeah, it's like um, a lovely little rally car that I'm always I'm always looking for in games. <laughs> um, but yeah. Um, nothing else so far. I'll play some more of it, see how it goes. Um, but I, I don't think I'll like uh, do all the races or anything like that. But with all of that said, like uh, as for your your actual um, twenty twenty one games of the year, um, I guess that your your um, time played three HR episode doesn't really conflict with this in any way. Um, you know, I've had like <laughs> Brad and Reagan on. Um, and we've been talking about 2021 games and they do end of year episodes. Um, and so I kind of yeah. didn't want to spoil theirs by preempting it in some way, but perhaps that's less, less of an issue with three HR. It's yeah. We're doing just stuff that we played for the podcast. Um, our games of the year lists are, um, uh, games of the games of the podcast year list. So it's, um, it's just be a bunch of random rubbish. Um, I love I love your games of the year episode. I have to say, like the the kind of the negotiation uh, that goes on um, in in narrowing it down to a, an, un- an unpredictable <laughs> game of the year is a really enjoyable listen. <laughs> it's chaotic because I think both Lockie and I have completely different metrics yeah. that we're <laughs> like that we're listing them on. Um, and sometimes I like I have the urge to like I don't know control it more like degree with Lockie early on like this is what we're doing and um but then I was like nah just just let it it doesn't matter game of the year lists don't matter at the best of times so like why should this ridiculous one um um but I am I'm happy to uh if if you still have the time uh share share my list of personal games of the year I would love to hear them yeah um I've I've found so many good games uh, through you. I'd be curious, very curious to hear what you enjoyed this year. Yeah. Um, so I haven't um, I haven't managed to listen to both um, your um, games of the year list with the other guys you've had on. Um, so and I but I did look at some of the show notes and there might be a little bit of repetition here. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me know if I'm repeating anything. Um, um, so. Should you just want to go them one by one, or should I just list them all off and you can pick? Um, yeah, we can we can just talk through them if uh, if you want. To, uh, I'm interested in what you liked about them. Okay, um, so the first one probably I will say is XO One, which we actually did on the podcast. Um, 
But Exo One is probably one of my favorite games I played this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I covered that one as well. Actually, that was a real surprise to me. I'd not heard of it. Um, I thought maybe I got the sense that you'd been waiting for this one. Yeah, um, I don't know how long. I think it was one of those ones that um, I saw some amazing GIF on Twitter like seven months ago, um, um, and I was like, "Oh wow, I need to know what that is." Um, and it turned out it was actually a thing that someone was going to release in in the year, which is very exciting. And then uh, the developer, whose name now eludes me, um, put out a demo on this one of the Steam sort of half yearly demo things they do, uh, which I played for like five minutes. Like, okay, I don't need to play any more of this. Um, um, and it's um, uh, I won't go into too much detail about what it is, I guess, but like. Um, it's very much, I think, the kinds the kind of game that I'm always looking for in the back of my mind of like sort of probably narrative light but vibes heavy and and um um feels and there's like a sense of um real sense of control and like elegance in movement. I think those are things that like obviously there are loads of types of games I play, but like um, something something about like an, uh, some emotional resonance through like moving through a space I think is probably the, those types of games are the ones that I often find I'm like really latching onto if that makes any sense um, and I think XO1 a game about flying a sort of a weird marble through, through beautiful alien landscapes um, uh, hits that mark like so squarely on the head um I think on the podcast we talked about uh, Flower. Have you played Flower? Yeah, yeah, I like that one. Um, Flower was like a sort of a landmark early indie game for both, I think, Lockie and I. Like that was one of the sort of earlier indie games that he and I played on PS3. Um, and there was something just surreal about like XO1 in a sort of similar, it feels similar in a way, mm-hmm. but with a tone that maybe I connect to more. Um, I've had a bit of a weird year, like emotionally speaking. So like I have found that I, I just, I just cry at anything these days. Um, like any movie you put on, I will well up. I welled up at, I welled up like several times watching Spider-Man 2 the other day. (laughs) And I, I cannot tell you why, but I did. But so maybe it doesn't mean much, but like XO1, like I teared up, uh, I don't know how many times, like I basically every time I went really fast and broke through the sky and saw the sun setting. I was just like, oh, I was just balling it. Um, yeah, so it just it just had some. It was just hitting some emotional key um, for me over and over and over again. I understand what you mean. I, I experienced that as like quite a rare sense of um, like genuine awe. I would say mm. there was something about the. The beautiful minimalist ambient guitar music is just so lovely, and then the, yeah. the viciousness of the weather, um, and the feeling of extreme distance from home. I think those three things mm. together made this very, very specific, quite visceral feeling, um, like lost, far away, in 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 deep weather, um, that really stuck with me in, in quite a rare way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that completely. Yeah, it's a really lovely mix of things. Um, uh, yeah, just a just a lovely however long it was two hours. 
Um, my next one uh, is, uh, I think it's only on PC, um, is Before Your Eyes. Ah, oh, this was on my list um, of games that I wished that I had played in 2021. Oh, really? Okay, so I don't want to spoil it too much because it's pretty short. Um, um, so I will try my best. But um, I only played it like last month or something. I don't know if you do this too, but I like... I find I start leaving all the games I really want to check out <laughs> until like the last month of the year. And then I start like, Oh God, I haven't played that yet. I have to, um, and I just start hurrying through them. Um, but before your eyes was one that's been sitting in my like steam wish list for a while. Um, uh, and the basic mechanic is, um, you interact with the game through your webcam. So your webcam is tracking your blinking. Um, uh, and it and uh, I'm happy to report that it, it it's it does that like it actually is doing that successfully like 90% of the time 95% of the time um, it's not something that I had to wrestle with um, it just seems to work um, and then how that like translates into gameplay is um, it's the basic setup is that you are um, uh, reliving through memories of someone's life um, and by blinking um you will skip or pass to the next memory um which is just unbelievably brutal <laughs> <laughs> um it it's like i mean like it takes it takes blink and you'll miss it to to literal um <laughs> a literal sense like it's the sense of like longing it manages it manages to like instill in me um for memories that i've never had someone else's memories um um was amazing there are like some moments where like i mean the, yeah there are some moments where i was just sitting there like desperately wanting to stay in that moment and not being able to and i think that's just an amazing thing um so yeah i would i would really recommend before your eyes uh, another short game um that can be played in one sitting i would recommend playing it in one sitting um yeah a very amazing thing yeah it sounds like super existential in a way time passing um and skipping through memories it sounds sounds quite affecting mm -hmm. and that's even Definitely. without knowing the story or anything it's just a great premise yeah it really is just like i think it's rare that you get like a mechanic that's so like lovely love what am i trying to say like wonderfully sort of mixed into the the narrative um in a way that feels correct and it, it's it's yeah it's good so it's mostly a narrative um experience then where you're you're blinking to move the story on and that's kind of it so there's some like interactive stuff you do where you sort of use your mouse cursor to like basically point your gaze at something and like blink to uh interact with something mm -hmm. um um uh, but for the most part, yeah, it's about, um, uh, yeah, about passing time. Mm. Reminds me a little bit of a um, VR game that I played at this, when COVID was actually down and there was stuff going on. There was like a, a VR event in Reykjavik. Uh, we could just go and check out like 10 different VR pieces. Um, and there's one called Notes on Blindness. Um, and it was based mm. on the audio diaries of this, this, uh, this blind fellow who'd, 
been recording throughout his life just thoughts he was having about being blind and going blind. Um, and the way that the VR was, that you just um, put the mask on in, in darkness and then sounds would appear as flashes of colour. So like if you hear some, if you're in a park and you hear kids in the background, um, these are just genuine audio diaries. They weren't made for the game. Uh, they'd just been turned mm. into a game. And so as he's saying, like uh, he's explaining how the sounds of sandals on the path or wings passing, like flapping wings, the things that he would pick up. And then they slowly manifest as a picture around you and, and fade away again. And there's like five or six different scenes. And it was only about half an hour, I think. Um, but it sounds like it might have something in common with Before Your Eyes. It was this giving you someone else's experience in a really vivid, unusual way. Yeah, it sounds pretty neat. Mm -hmm. That sounds pretty neat. Yeah, you could imagine, I think Before Your Eyes would work in VR. I feel like I've heard about VR having eye tracking. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to play that one for sure. Yes, you just need a webcam. <laughs> <laughs> Which is such a strange, it's such a strange requirement. I mean, you can, you can, you can technically play it with a mouse, but it doesn't work, obviously, that in the same way. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. um, cool. The next game I got on my list, these are in no particular order, by the way, um, is uh, Mundorn, um, which uh, is a uh, folk horror game set in um, uh, the Swiss Alps. Um, um, in Mundorn. Um I think I think uh did you cover it on the podcast as well? Yeah, I did it. Um I folded it into the the Halloween -y episode with uh with a few yeah. other games. Yeah. But I heard about that one through you actually, through um through you tweeting about it. Oh, uh, okay. Um yeah, Mundorn, um I don't think it was a game that I was particularly on my radar. I think I might have seen one or two things. Um I am always looking for the right horror game in that a game that like has the right amount of spooks versus the right amount of like intrigue and like emotional depth for me um and i f sometimes buy a horror game and then i bounce off it because like i can't handle the spooks um and sometimes um it doesn't really have enough it's it's it feels very specific to each person i think that um and uh, Mundorn for me, I think, had a really nice balance um, of that stuff. And I think, especially like, I love, I love a folk horror story. Um, there's something so satisfying and like intriguing about um, learning about like cultural or historical things um, through horror and like things that I don't, I don't, um, yeah, things that I don't know about and like seeing all these little like, morsels of 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 life and culture um uh is always really cool and it's a really nicely told tale um i also particularly love the way it like um it it like has quite a few little random mechanics like just chucked in um and they're all pretty well realized i think and i, I really enjoy um, it's not like, I think most indie horror games often are like first person, uh, corridor walking down, wait for something to jump out at you sort of thing, or like go find the five notes while something chases you or something like that. Whereas Mundorn, like is a sort of mini, I'm not going to say open world, but the sort of mini hub, um, zone, um, there's half a mountain basically. Um, and in it, you like, you drive a truck and pick up hay 
you wander around, you sl- you ride on a sled, you at some point get a gun. Um, there's puzzles like it, it's always um, you draw in your book. There's always these little you make coffee, <laughs> all this stuff. Like I really love that. Like these lots of little micro interactions you have with the world, um, and it's always changing that stuff up. It's always really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the start of that game. You know, the the opening sequence mm. where you're just sitting on the bus, um, looking around as this bus crawls up the side of the mountain, um, and it heads out above the roof of clouds to this, like, the very, very top of the mountain. Um, and the feeling of being... It's very effective in horror, isn't it? That feeling of being cut off and far away. Like, mm. you can't get back down the mountain without getting another bus, and, like, you're just stuck up there, and everything is weird, and it's just getting worse. Um Super, super effective. Yeah. Yeah, I think it also has, like, I think there's one jump scare in it, um, which is great for me. Mm-hmm. I got up to the part where you get the hay machine into the barn where it's supposed to be, and then I kept getting jumped by straw men, and I, and I stopped playing. <laughs> yeah, it has, like, um, yeah, there's a, there's a few moments of... Um, I guess chase chasey scenes um and I would say they're slightly for me they were slightly annoying um I kind of just wanted those bits to go away and I just keep exploring the space mm-hmm. um but I'm always like that with just got to like push myself through those bits sometimes um so I can get back to wandering around and looking at weird things yeah yeah, I must get back to that one. I am curious to see where the story went. It was going in quite an intriguing direction. Yeah, good pick. Yeah. Solid pick. Thanks. <laughs> um, the uh, next one I have... Oh, yeah, I guess... Actually, the next two I have, the last two I have, are both uh, AAA juicy juicy big games. Um, they weren't on my other list. So the next one I had is a near-replicant bunch of numbers. Um um, which I think I saw in the show notes of the... F- Did you guys talk about it? Yeah, Reagan really liked that one. I had never played the original version of it, um, and I had played Automata, um, and I was excited about the idea of being able to check it out. I had been like umming and ahhing as to whether or not I should actually just check out the original PS3 version for a while, um, uh, and then they just kind of, Square Enix made the decision for me by releasing this one. Um and I'm super glad I did. I think the thing that I like about the near games is, um, I mean, usually the characterization is quite interesting and stuff. And, and like the story is kind of like wild and, and, and obtuse in ways. And I quite enjoy that too. But like, I think actually, especially with replicant, um, one of the things I've, <laughs> one of the things I've been like thinking a lot about this year is like learning to like, I think because I've been stuck inside, just like learning to be bored and like accepting boredom and like um, trying to trying to like do things. I'm so bad at doing things I don't want to do um, and like finding the motivation and just doing those things consistently. And near replicant um, has these like tasks in it that are so mundane and like... um, the way to get like the best ending, you basically have to play the game, the same game three times in a row. I see the same cutscenes over and over again. All the side quests are like very basic fetch quests, which I've really come to love recently. Um, 
I love standard, like, go get five sheep skins and come back things. I don't know why, but it's, I used to hate that stuff. And, like, just some, there's some, like, casual pleasure in, like, meeting someone in town and, and she asks you to do this thing and then the music changes and you go do the thing and then you come back and the music comes back. And, like, the, the, that routine, that comfort in routine, it's also a game about um, sort of, uh, being a carer I guess so look you sort of look after your youngest sister and, and I guess there's some crossover there with like the mechanics of doing these sort of monotonous repetitive tasks and looking after someone who's sick and and that's quite interesting um yeah and I just um I think mostly I just found it really satisfying to like see some of the origins of automata um and yeah see the see the growth of that that world mm-hmm is it something that's at all on your radar? Have you played um, um, Automata? I've played Automata. I've played through the 2B playthrough, and I'm halfway through the 9S playthrough, and I very occasionally mm-hmm. pick it up and inch it forward by an hour um, <laughs> yeah. to try and get to the next good stuff that I'm promised is coming. <laughs> I know, it's wild, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is such a wild thing. Yeah, so Replicant is like it's like Automata, but worse um, at that stuff. Um so, like, I think Automata does a pretty good job of of mixing up the secondary and third playthroughs. Um, still can be stale at times, but, like, is is there's something there. Um, whereas Replicant is basically just, just play the game again, bud, um, and make sure to do this one thing at some point somewhere along the line, um, uh, which can be a ask but there's something i found i found comfort and pleasure in the repetition this year for sure yeah i've, I've heard others say that about the near games actually that they just like to tune out and play it um i think you know the idea of a podcast game where you're playing and listening or you've got one mm. eye on the screen i think if you're playing through multiple mm. times then you can just engage in that activity in a more relaxed way without having to give your yeah. full attention to it and just drift with it a little bit my uh, final game is um, is Metroid Dread. Okay, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I think I like an hour ago saw a tweet from you saying how much you weren't enjoying it. Yeah, so no, yeah, I think that um, I'm in the minority here. Um, but yeah, I, st- I started. I bought the physical version of it because it was on sale on Amazon for thirty pounds or something. Um, and as a, a, a Super Metroid fan and a Metroid Prime fan. Mm. I'm a fan of the Metroids. Mm. Um, mm. Usually, I think, in the exploration, and especially in Prime, like the nature that you find, and scanning things with the visor, and the weather, and the, the, the alien planets, I think that's not how you're supposed to enjoy Metroid. It is supposed to be <laughs> Nintendo's, um, you know, like Sigourney Weaver alien um, horror serious hard sci-fi series or whatever and i was just running around enjoying looking at plants um which is probably not what you're supposed to do um but i I found it a little oppressive obviously um it is metroid dread after all yeah and so the emmys Mm. that um occasionally putting you under pressure has kind of taken away that that um that that moment of just wandering that is actually what I liked about them, you know. So it's it's quite a specific taste thing for me, I guess. I totally get that. I think I think Super Metroid, especially for me, uh, 
was it, there was something um there was a real sense of just getting lost in that in that game in that space and 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 kind of just wandering around and slowly uncovering it whereas dread um i think partly just because of how it literally feels to move samus like has this pace and um and pace yeah just general like speed to it like samus i i um i i don't i don't think i've i think like that samus that version of samus is like one of the best feeling characters i've ever played like especially like 2d side scrolling like the her animations and like there's just the speed at which she like moves through the space and um there's the way you get around i would say like some of the some of the controls are insane um to be honest like especially when you have to start like doing all the stuff towards the end it can get a little bit much and some of the controls are a little odd but in general like just her movement just feels so good um and i love that stuff and um i think i think for me metroid dread it's kind of a game that i've completely forgotten came out this year even though it only came out like a month and a half ago um but i that sounds like a negative but i think what it is is that like for me it just kind of fell so naturally into the like metroid lineage like it's it must have been such a stressful and difficult game to make knowing that people have been waiting for another 2d metroid for a long time and where after like all these indie games that have done you know like hollow knight etc like where do you go with that genre and i think they just for me they just nailed this like this is just a new metroid game (laughs) you know like this isn't like a reinvention of the genre or anything like that this is just um us revitalizing this series and it just feeling like a sequel to like metroid fusion i guess um uh yeah and i just think they kind of crushed it like i i agree about the emmy stuff to be honest like i think like um i think the instant kill stuff is a really interesting idea that doesn't quite come together um uh it's frustrating and i found myself with the emmys um instead of trying to do the stealth just kind of brute forcing it through because you respawn right outside the door anyway so like you could spend five minutes stealthing and maybe get caught or <laughs> you could just run, try to run past it five times for 10 seconds at a time and you'll probably get it on the seventh try or something. Um, so I, I don't think they quite work, but I think it's a really neat idea. Um, it just doesn't quite fit. But I think for me, the rest of it, like the difficulty with the rest of it has this really nice natural cadence I find with the boss fights of like, it's definitely just pattern recognition but it was basically every time with the boss fights for me, it just hit perfectly of like first time overwhelmed. I was terrible. Second or third time, usually third time, like I was like, oh, I could maybe do this if I got lucky. And then fifth time, just get through the boss fight with basically not getting hit. Um, it's a very satisfying like progression. And that happened like every single boss fight. Um, and then, And then the last thing with that game was just I thought, Nintendo's like I've only been like a Metroid fan for the last couple of years. Like I hadn't played them ever until um, I played Super Metroid a couple of years ago. Um, but I've played quite a few of them, and um, it feels like they've always struggled with how to characterize Samus. It feels like she's like gone between just being this kind of like 
uh, sort of Ellen Ripley, as you said, stand in and like um, kind of a badass kind of quiet character to, to uh, being, she was like bizarrely like, um, I don't know, squashed in like other M and like, there's some strange, like not maybe potentially slightly sexist treatment of her at times. And like, it feels like they haven't ever really figured out what they were doing with that character. And this one just felt like they, they went to like the badass thing, which I think you could do more than that. But like, as, as an attempt to do that, I think they just did it really, really well. Um, she like says like one line in it and it's just the best <laughs> it's like and all her animation stuff is so amazing like the way in the boss fights she like um in the yeah, just some of the some of the animation work is like really impressive um uh just feel just the character i just i just wish i was samus you know and, and that's nice i think i'm glad that they managed they succeeded in that sense yeah yeah, one thing that I will say for it is that, like as you were saying at the start there, um, the formula for the, the Metroidvania has become so... Um, so many games have trodden that path and taken it in different directions and stuff. It's kind of, in a way, bold that they did it the way that you said um, and didn't try to reinvent the wheel or anything and just had faith in, in uh, how Metroid is and what Metroid is. And I definitely got that feeling from it playing. I mean, the only bugbearer I've got so far is the Emmy thing. Um, but you're right, she feels really snappy as you're moving around mm. and uh, really rapid. And I, I love that they've um, incorporated those, I guess, 2.5D backdrops and those moments where it zooms in behind uh, Samus as she does things. Like the world feels alive mm. in that way, or at least, um, you know, it feels like you're moving through it in a in a different way from the, the side-on pixel way. Um, and the formula does seem to hold up. It's just super robust. I guess there's a reason that that folks um, ran with that that template. And yeah, as you're saying, they just kind of held their faith with it. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think the other thing that they clearly made some kind of a decision on was like... Um, that the try i think trying to figure out um how much like handholdy to be um super metroid is like is at times pretty obtuse with where you need to go um and there are times having played it quite recently where it's just like i really don't know and i just hope i find the right thing um and then i also i played metroid fusion for the first time just before um, Dread came out and like that game is actually like um, really, really linear. And like, there's this, um, you have like literal waypoints and you kind of just go to the thing. Um, but somehow I still found myself getting lost, even though it was telling me exactly where to go, which was in a way mm -hmm. even more frustrating. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Dread, I, th I feel like this is like the best example of a game making you believe that you're making decisions about where you're going, but actually you're just going down a corridor, which sounds really depressing and bad, but like, it's so impressive to me, like how, how well they have hidden the fact that you're kind of just going in a straight line. Um, like it really feels for the most part, like a big open space and like, um, uh, whilst also 
making sure that I don't think I ever got lost in dread, um, which I maybe I could have done with maybe a bit of getting lost, but like either way, imp- impressive that they at least they managed to make it linear without making me feel like I was being shown the door. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've only played probably under an hour of it so far. I've just been running around a little bit, but I think um, a couple of times an Emmy spotted me and I'm, I was in the Emmy zone uh, and running around trying desperately not to get caught, never tried for the stealth, <laughs> and was see, seeing things <laughs> like um, grapple points and rolling ball points and stuff like that. Uh, but you know how as you're playing a Metro game, you'll normally file those in the back of your mind somewhere and think, yep, yeah, okay, come back there later. I was just kind mm. of running past them with terror, <laughs> trying to find a way out. <laughs> and so I wasn't doing that mental filing of, of what is what yeah. is where. Um, and just running around and getting a little lost in like just the, the Emmy area, trying to find the way out without dying, you know. A bit yeah, stressful, totally. a bit stressful. I don't know. I, I want to like it though. I want to believe. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to. It's okay. There, there, there are other games that you can enjoy. Um, my other friend Kieran has been reassuring me that there is a kind of a pain barrier in that game, um, where this uh, oppressive Emmy hunting kind of eases off just a touch. So maybe I'll try and mm-hmm. push on through. Um, everyone seems to love it, and you know, I can a hundred percent believe that it's a it's a great game. I just need to find my find my pace with it. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think like I think the the instant death thing is um, is definitely definitely a choice, and I respect that they made that choice. I think maybe I feel like the game could have like supported that idea a bit more. I think the fact that like I mean, it's I know I know <laughs> you don't want to be punished harder for it um, because it sucks anyway. But something about that like death respawn, death respawn thing mm-hmm. feels like a little like you kind of needed to have made the more a bigger choice like mm-hmm. maybe the the punishment should have been greater so that i engaged with some of that stealth stuff a bit more yeah okay well thanks very much for those louis um it's really good to talk to you and hear what you've been playing this year mm, yeah thank you for having me it's fun it's fun to talk forever about um stuff that Lockie wouldn't like <laughs> <laughs> actually to be fair i think i think he would like every game on my top top five to be fair I'm being mean he would like them all yeah it's fun to hear about the games that you've been playing that don't make it to the show for sure and i'm looking forward to your uh, end of the year list as well and see what see what um manages to, to <laughs> scramble to the top of the pile this year i i have a pretty good idea of what it's gonna be i was making the list the other day um just like organizing it us all to go through and i was just looking at i, I won't say it but like uh there's definitely I'm pretty sure I know what Lockie's going to pick and I would agree with him. So, Okay, well, thanks for the time. And where should people come if they want to find you and Time Player 3HR? Um, <laughs> um, uh, we, uh, you can find Time Player 3HR um, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, we have a Twitter, which you can follow, um, uh, Time Player 3HR. Time Player 3HR, basically anywhere. We also have a discord if you want to come hang out there which you can find through links you'll find it um and then instagram as well but you know um i would say start with the podcast if you don't know who i am and then 
Like, I wouldn't follow me on Twitter first. That doesn't make sense. I rarely tweet anyway. Um, listen to the podcast. If you like me, especially if you like Lockie, um, stick around. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for having me, John. Um, it was a good time. Yeah, good to talk to you. Cheers and have a good Christmas. Yeah, you too. So I hope you enjoyed that episode with Louis. I had a great time talking with him. It's always an absolute pleasure. Thanks to Louis again for agreeing to do the show. It was a really fun discussion. I'm definitely going to go and play Before Your Eyes. And there were some great recommendations there. And always really fun to talk to Louis. I super recommend following Time Played 3 hr I feel like people that like Gaming in the Wild would instantly get on with that podcast too. And uh, thanks very much to you all for listening to the show this year. It's been a really good year for the podcast this year. I feel like there are more people listening than ever, and it's really heartening to hear from them. Um, if you'd like to be in touch with me, I'm on Twitter at Gaming in the Wild. I'm also on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitch, and elsewhere. But Twitter is the main place that you'll find me. You're also welcome to come and join the Patreon community at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild, and come and join us on Discord. I'll be back next week with another show. The final show of 2021. I think it might be a final uh, guest episode to round up the year, um, but we'll see how that pans out. People are very busy over the, the Christmas period, but one way or the other, I will put an episode out for you. So thanks very much for listening. Take care of yourselves and each other. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>